0: But this morning we find ourselves in 2 Peter chapter 1, so if you will take your Bibles and turn with me to 2 Peter chapter 1. And having finished our expositional study through the epistle of 1 Peter just prior to Christmas, as I was prayerfully considered what the Lord would have me to preach in this new year, I sensed the Lord leading me to the book of 2 Peter. And that seems reasonable. After 1 Peter comes 2 Peter. So, with that said, on this first Lord's Day of 2024, I want to continue examining the words of the Apostle Peter by contemplating what God inspired him to write to other believers in this epistle we call 2 Peter. And this morning, from verses 1 through 4 of chapter 1, I want to preach a message entitled, God's Gracious Gift of Faith. God's Gracious Gift of Faith. 2 Peter, chapter 1. Simon Peter, a servant and an apostle of Jesus Christ, to them that have obtained like precious faith with us through the righteousness of God and our Savior, Jesus Christ. Grace and peace be multiplied unto you through the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. According as His divine power hath given unto us all things that pertain unto life and godliness through the knowledge of Him that hath called us to glory and virtue, whereby are given unto us exceeding great and precious promises, that by these ye might be partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption of that is in the world through lust. Similar to the first epistle of Peter, we find within these introductory words that Peter begins this second epistle. We find a greeting overflowing with gospel truths. And you will notice there in verse 1 that Peter very quickly introduces himself as the author of this letter And then, without wasting any time, begins expounding upon gospel truths within the announcement of who this letter is written to. So in other words, within Peter's salutation, we have a thorough description of salvation. In Peter's initial greeting, we find a detailed description of what faith is and what faith does in the life of a true Christian. Which reminds us once again that the message of the gospel is the central message of the Bible and is to be the one truth that every believer is to comprehend and cherish more than any other truth. Let me repeat what I just said to emphasize my point. If the Bible's primary message from Genesis to Revelation is the gospel, and it is, then I am proposing that those who claim to believe the gospel, those who profess to be possessors of salvation, ought to clearly comprehend and earnestly treasure the message of salvation. Above all people, those who claim to know Christ, And those who have read and those who have heard God's word preached for years should be able to communicate the elements of the gospel in a comprehensive sense. Yet sadly, I'm finding more and more that this is not the case of the Christian community at large. Unfortunately, I'm finding more and more that most professing Christians have a shallow view of the biblical gospel, and cannot accurately articulate basic truths about what it means to be a Christian. Oh, don't get me wrong. Most people among the Christian community know that the gospel includes Jesus dying on the cross and rising again the third day. Most will proclaim that in order for someone to be saved, they must... Admit that they are a sinner. They must believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and they must call upon his name. Most understand and would unashamedly confess that the way of salvation is the way of faith in Jesus' name. But oftentimes, that's as far as it goes. And to be honest, this troubles me immensely. Because as we see once again in our text that the details of the gospel are clearly spelled out and set before us in God's word over and over and over again. God throughout the totality of scripture emphasizes, explains, defines, illustrates the gospel constantly and he does so through types and shadows, miracles and parables illustrations and declarations, and yet somehow, somehow, most among the professing church remain unformed, uninformed to the depth, breadth, and true meaning of the gospel. And I like what Martin Luther said about this. He said, quote, every week I preach justification by faith to my people because every week they forget it. And this comforts me. This encourages me as a preacher. If someone like Luther was driven to preach the gospel week by week because in his estimation, people are people and they're prone to forget, then surely I have reason to mimic him and set the gospel before our eyes over and over and over so we will know it and declare it as it is given to us in the scripture. So with a desire to better understand the biblical gospel, as it is presented to us by God. I want to walk you through Peter's explanation regarding what true faith is and what true faith leads to in the life of a genuine believer. So under our first heading that I've entitled, An Explanation of True Faith, let me give you three gospel truths expressed by Peter in verses 1 through 3 that articulate how someone comes to have faith in God. And the first truth emphasized by Peter is the reality that true faith in God is obtained and not earned. True faith in God, according to the Bible, is obtained and not earned. Notice that Peter says, Simon Peter, a servant and an apostle of Jesus Christ, Writing to them that have obtained or received like precious faith with us. So, in other words, what Peter is saying is the faith that he and the other apostles have is the same faith the recipients of his letter have come to receive, which is the only faith that saves. And the faith that saves, the faith that leads to God, the faith that is of our Lord Jesus Christ is a faith that is obtained and not earned. And I would submit to you this morning that it is this singular truth that sets the Christian faith against all religions, including those faiths and groups who call themselves Christian but are not. You see, all other religions, all other faiths, all other spiritual groups outside of the Christian faith teach that in order to be right with God, in order to earn heaven, in order to reach a state of enlightenment, you must strive to be good and do good. In order to be right with God, all other religions teach that you must earnestly strive to be religious, to be more righteous. This is the false gospel of most religions. Most false religions believe and teach that if you pray, if you fast, if you go to catechism class, if you are confirmed, if you go to confession, if you go on missionary trips, if you... Keep the various holy days of your religion. If you strive to keep the Ten Commandments, then you will obtain heaven when you die. But true biblical Christianity, on the other hand, preaches a message of grace and faith. God, through His Word, teaches us that all we like sheep have gone astray. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. There is not a just man on earth who does good and sins not. In fact, the foundational truth of the biblical gospel is the undeniable certainty that we as fallen creatures, we as sinful beings, do not have the ability to make ourselves right with God. We do not have the power to make ourselves righteous. God says we are unrighteous. The message of true Christianity is that God, in His marvelous, infinite, matchless grace, God, through His unmerited favor, has given sinful men the ability to be reconciled with God through the power of God given through personal faith in Him. And this is the message of Paul in Ephesians 2:8 and 9. Paul says to the believers in Ephesus, For by grace are you saved. For by God's unmerited favor have you come to salvation through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. And Paul likewise says in Titus 3, verse 5, not by works of righteousness, which we have done, but it is according to God's mercy that he saves us. And listen, if anyone in the Bible knows what it means to be saved by grace through faith, surely it's the Apostle Paul. It's the one declaring this message. Here the Apostle Paul was a zealous Pharisee of the Pharisee. Paul had all the religious credentials within Judaism to be accepted by God As they thought. Paul was very religious. He was very earnest. He was very sincere. And yet, we read in Acts chapter 9 that God, in His grace, throws this self righteous, proud Pharisee on his face, strips him of all of his self righteousness, humbles him before His presence. Paul comes to see his guilt before God. And God, in His grace, gives faith. And through that faith, Paul trusts in the accomplishments of the risen Savior to save his soul. You see, Paul was not seeking salvation. He didn't wake up one morning and say, I think I'll give this Christian thing a try. In fact, he was doing just the opposite. He was on his way to persecute believers. So Paul didn't do anything good to earn favor with God. Paul didn't clean up his life To go to God and say, Well, God, look, I cleaned up my life. Now I'm worthy of heaven. No, God gave Paul faith to believe on the name of Christ and God in His goodness caused him to see that he was a great sinner in need of a great Savior. This is the message of salvation. This is the essence of the gospel. This is how, listen, This is how Christians become Christian. Christians don't become Christians by going to church. We know that, but we don't know it. We're like schizophrenic. We're like bipolar. I'm serious. I'm amazed at how many people's eyes grow big when you start talking about gospel issues and then you bring up the fact that church doesn't save them and they're like, whoa, it's a new revelation. I've been preaching on this every week. Going to church doesn't save you any more than sitting in a garage makes you a car. What is the way of salvation? The only way anyone can be united with God is through faith and faith alone. It is not our belief in God and our good works. It is not our belief in God and our church attendance and Our service for God and our prayers to God. God has made it clear through his word that faith is a free gift that is received, not a reward that can be earned. You see, salvation is not a reward for the righteous, for there are none righteous. Salvation is not a reward for the righteous, Salvation is a gift for the guilty. This is truth number one. God's gift of grace must be personally received or obtained by faith. It is not something that is earned or worked for. The second truth that Peter emphasizes in his opening greeting regarding faith is the reality that true faith in God is exclusively in and through the person and work of Jesus Christ. Don't miss that. True faith in God is exclusively in and through the person and work of Jesus Christ. Notice it, Simon Peter, a servant and an apostle of Jesus Christ to them that have obtained like precious faith with us through the righteousness of God and our Savior Jesus Christ. And here we find Peter emphasizing the object of Christian faith. Peter says that the believers he is writing to have come to obtain like precious faith through the righteousness of God and our Savior, Jesus Christ. So fusing the first point with the second point, true faith in God, according to the Bible, involves believing on Christ. True faith in God involves believing that Jesus Christ is God, the righteous one. True faith in God involves believing that Jesus Christ, through His death, burial, and resurrection, has the ability to make us righteous with the Father. True faith in God involves believing that Jesus is the way, the truth, the life. Did you catch the these? He's not a way. He's not one of many ways. No, He is the only exclusive way to God. True faith in God involves believing that Jesus is the door. He's the good shepherd of the sheep. He's the mediator between God and men. You see, we don't go to God through popes or through priests. We, we are not made righteous through our efforts or through a church. We are not saved through water, through baptism. If we are to be saved, we must believe that Jesus and only Jesus can forgive us of our sin. He has the power to make us the sons of God. You see, Jesus has done everything possible for us to be saved from the wrath to come. And this is why Jesus on the cross said, it is finished. The work of becoming a sin-bearer for sinners has been accomplished. It is finished. There's no work that man needs to do to go to God. He can't. Christ has come to do the work that man cannot by offering himself a perfect sacrifice to the Lord. Now, I want you to recognize that this very truth stands contrary to the notion that it is sufficient just to have faith. Now, some people believe that the only thing needed to be a Christian is, catch it, having faith. How many times, even among the Christian communities, have I heard someone say, well, I have faith. Right? This is the Hobby Lobby declaration in decorations. Have faith. Have faith. Have faith. You have faith? Great. I have faith. You have faith. We're all people of faith. We don't need to worry about so and so salvation because they say they're a person of faith. Listen, faith is not enough. Are you listening? Faith has sent more people to hell than heaven. Let that rattle you. You have faith? Faith in what? Faith in yourself? Faith in the Easter Bunny? Faith in Santa Claus? Faith in the Tooth Fairy? Faith in the government? God help us. Where does your faith lie? Faith is only as good as its object. And Peter is teaching us here that in order to have true faith in God... One must believe that Jesus is the Christ. So with this, I think it's needful for me to affirm also that faith in a creator is not saving faith. Believing that there is God is not Christianity. He who has ears to hear, let him hear what the pastor says. And likewise, just believing in any Jesus is not faith. And by the way, there are many false Christs that others believe on and rely upon for their soul salvation, Galatians chapter 1. So in our evangelistic efforts, we cannot leave the conversation at, do you believe in God? Do you believe in Jesus? Oh, you do. Well, praise the Lord. You need to draw it out. You need to ask follow-up questions such as the question Jesus asked. Who do you say that Jesus is? Do you know the biblical Jesus? Are you willing to believe on the true Messiah, the one who is co-equal, co-eternal with the Father and Spirit? Oh, now you've just broken through a lot of religions. Jesus is not God. Jesus is just the Son of God. Jesus is the brother of Satan. That's what some cults say. We have to define our terms. Who is Jesus? Is the Jesus you're believing on? God come in the flesh? Is He the one who died and rose again? Is Is He the one who's become sin on behalf of those who believe on Him? You see... True faith is exclusively in and through the person and work of Jesus Christ. This is so vital. And then we have truth number three. The third truth that Peter emphasizes regarding faith is the certainty that true faith in God is brought about through Christ's divine power. Simon Peter, a servant and an apostle of Jesus Christ, to them that have obtained like precious faith with us through the righteousness of God and our Savior, Jesus Christ, grace and peace be multiplied unto you through the knowledge of God and of, notice the repetition of Jesus, and of Jesus our Lord according as His divine Power hath given unto us all things that pertain unto life, spiritual life, and godliness. What is faith? How do others come to have such a faith? Did you catch what Peter said? Peter said, faith is given through the divine power of God our Savior, Jesus Christ. What is faith? Faith is nothing short than a divine miracle. Sila. Stop, think about it. Just as Jesus caused the blind to see, the deaf to hear, the lame to walk, and the dead to live again, so true faith in Christ involves God giving a new heart, a new nature, making us a new creation. Jesus says, with men, this, salvation, the changing of the heart, and specifically causing rich men to see that they're poor before God. With this, such a work is impossible. With men, but not with God. Why? With God, all things are possible. John 1, 12 and 13, but as many as received him, to them God gave power that they did not have through the Spirit. To them God gave power. They didn't muster it up on their own. To them gave he power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on his name, there's faith which were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. Power. Listen, if you go to the world and tell them that they are spiritually dead, if you go to the world and tell them that they are unholy people who need a Savior, they're going to laugh at you in the face. They don't believe that. In fact, most people in the world believe that they're good. Many in this world don't believe there is a God. Most people believe that we came to be through the process of evolution. They believe that life is about being happy, living for yourself. They believe that we just cease to exist when we die. The soul doesn't go anywhere. You just go into the ground and become eaten by worms. Or some are so blinded by their false religion, they believe they already have everything figured out. So our question is, what is the hope of man in coming to know the Lord? How can lost dead men come to know Christ in sincerity and in truth? Peter answers the question. Through the power of the gospel. Romans 1. For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is power of God unto salvation to who? To everyone who believes whether you're a Jew or a Gentile. For therein is the righteousness of God revealed from faith to faith as it is written the just shall live by faith. You see the only way A person can be made right with God is through the power of the gospel. Didn't we sing that this morning? Saved by His power divine. Saved to new life supply. Life now is sweet. My joy is complete for I'm saved, saved, saved. Only the power of God through Christ can make Dead men live. Only the power of the gospel can make blind men to see. And listen, if you have true faith in Jesus Christ this morning, you know exactly what this means. In your sin, you were not seeking God. In your sin, you were not interested in Christianity. In fact, many of you mocked Christians. You, you, you turn from any teaching of the Bible that you heard. You blasphemed the name of Christ. You rejected over and over and over. And what happened? You decided to turn over a new leaf? No. Christ, in His grace, interrupted your life and gave you faith to believe that you cannot save yourself from the power of sin. You cannot save yourself from hell. But Christ and his mercy and Christ and his power can. And so you desperately cried out to the Lord and you said, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. I can't do it, but Christ can do it for me. This is true faith. True faith is obtained, not earned. True faith is in and through the person and work of Jesus Christ. And then... True faith is brought about by God through Christ's divine power. When the shepherd calls the name of his sheep, his sheep come forth and follow him. This is Peter's explanation regarding what true faith is. So do we have that element? Do we know what true faith is? We should be able to articulate it we should be able to know it and we should treasure it now turning to the second half of peter's gospel focused greeting in our second main point i want to give you three gospel truths concerning the evidence of true faith the evidence of true faith so having examined what true faith is now i want us to observe what true faith leads to in the life of a genuine believer And the first evidence of true faith that I find emphasized by Peter in verse 3 is an intimate knowledge of Christ. Write that down. True faith in Christ always leads to an intimate knowledge of Christ. Peter says, According as His divine power hath given unto us all things that pertain unto life and godliness through... The knowledge of Him that hath called us to glory and virtue. Did you catch what Peter says faith in Christ leads to? It leads to something. It doesn't remain stagnant. Faith is not something that you just mentally assess and remain dead. True faith in God, true faith in Christ leads. Here's a revelation to you. It leads to Christ. And this knowledge of Christ is not merely a theological knowledge of him. It's not some vague idea that Jesus lived a long time ago. Peter says that true faith in Christ leads to a real personal love for him. It's something that is personal and sweet, not distant and casual. You see, the Bible portrays salvation as a marriage. A marriage is between two people who love each other. At least it's supposed to be. Christ loves his people, and through that, his people respond in loving him. The Bible portrays salvation as adoption. God the Father adopts children unto himself, whereby through the Spirit they cry out, Abba, Father. And this is what Peter is emphasizing. In his writing to other believers, he's pointing out the fact that Christ has become, in a very real sense, their closest friend, their personal Savior, their guiding shepherd, And their heavenly father. Do you see that? So let me ask you this morning. Is Christ this to you? Those of you who claim faith in Christ. If he is not. Do not flatter yourself that you know him. Who is Christ to you? Is he just a man that the preacher talks about? Or is he your greatest treasure? Is Christ just a historical figure among other religious leaders who lives on the pages of God's Word? Or is He someone you've been united with in love? This question alone will determine whether or not you are truly in the faith. Who is Christ to you? Not just mentally, but as it pertains to your heart, your soul, your life. True faith, number one, always leads to an intimate knowledge of Christ. And then we find, second, that true faith in God always leads to a personal treasuring of God's Word. True faith in Christ leads to a personal treasuring of God's Word. Peter says, according as His divine power, see the links connecting as His divine power hath given unto us, God's people, all things that pertain unto life and godliness through the knowledge of Him that called us to glory and virtue, sentence doesn't end, whereby are given unto us, who's the us? His people, those who've believed on His name, those who are truly saved, whereby are given unto us exceeding great, And precious, there's that word again, promises. So those who have true, precious faith will come to see that God's word is truly precious. And I want you to notice the connection between point one and point two. When others have true faith in God, they will immediately have and they will continue to develop an intimate knowledge of Christ through the great and precious promises that have been given to them in Scripture. Do you see that? When someone is truly saved, when someone genuinely believes on the Lord Jesus Christ, when someone is actually born again by the power of the Spirit, mark it down, there will always be a new relationship with God's Word. Always. When someone has true faith in Christ, they will, they will grow in that faith by treasuring, reading, meditating upon, studying and obeying God's voice. My sheep hear my voice through His word and what do they do? They follow Him because they love Him. Jesus says, whosoever hath my commandments and keeps them, he it is who loves me. When someone truly comes to Christ, God's word will become more precious than silver, more costly than gold. You'd be willing to give up everything if you can just keep this book. God's word will become your spiritual meat Your spiritual manna, your spiritual water, your spiritual bread, your spiritual comfort, your source of guidance. When you truly come to faith in Christ, you will desire to make God's word a lamp unto your feet and a light unto your path. When someone truly comes to faith in Christ, as we see in Paul, you will come before the Lord and say, Lord, what do you want me to do? My life is no longer my own. I delight to do your will. So away away with this nonsensical thinking that someone can be a true believer while habitually neglecting God's word. That's not biblical Christianity. When God gives true faith, there will always be a personal treasuring of God's word. And Jesus teaches us this in the parable of the two foundations. The parable of the homes built on the foundation, yes? Yes the one who is safe from the judgment of God, the one who's truly born again is the one who not only hears God's word, but desires to do it and is actually doing it. And James echoes the same truth by saying, faith without works is dead. God doesn't recognize it. Faith Without a living relationship with God, through His revelation, the word is a farce. Now to be clear, I'm not talking about reading the Bible like a lost Pharisee. I'm talking about finding delight in God through His written word. As the deer pants after the water brook, so panteth my soul after God, that I might know him and the power of his resurrection, the fellowship of his sufferings. We come before the presence of God in his word and we say, oh God, I see what you want me to do and that's my desire. This will be the DNA of every true believer. I'm talking about treating God's word as God's love letter to you. I'm talking about letting God's word abide in you. Peter's teaching us here that true faith in Christ leads to a personal treasuring of God's word. And then finally, Peter declares in verse four that true faith in Christ will always lead to a distinctive separation from the world. Don't take my word for it. Look at the text. Whereby are given unto us exceeding great and precious promises that by these ye might be partakers of the divine nature having escaped past tense the corruption, the sinfulness, the wickedness, the perverseness that is in the world through lust. Don't pass over Peter's words too quickly. Speaking of these Christians that he's writing to, Peter says in their coming to Christ, they have come out of the world. They have been freed from the bondage of corruption whereby they were slaves, servants to sin, servants to Satan, doing the will of Satan by cherishing the things of this world. Whereas before they used to love the world and the things of it, now in Christ, they've become a new creation. And Peter's message here is consistent with Paul's. Peter's not preaching another gospel. Paul says, If any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. And Paul says of the believers in Corinth, mind you, those who used to be fornicators, adulterers, abusers, drunkards, homosexuals. 1 Corinthians 6, Paul says, And such were, past tense, you no longer are, and such were some of you, but ye are washed, ye are sanctified, ye are justified in the name of the Lord Jesus and by the Spirit of God. And then listen to what Paul says to the believers in Thessalonica. Paul says, For from you sounded out the word of the Lord, not only in Macedonia and Achaia, but also in every place your faith to God is spread abroad, so that we need not to speak anything. For they themselves show of us what manner of entering in we had unto you, And how that, catch it, you in your faith turned to God from serving idols to serve the true and living God. Did you catch it? True faith in Christ always leads to a new relationship with sin and the world. Whereas before you ran to sin, now in Christ you run from sin. Whereas before you and you were infatuated by the world, now in Christ you are infatuated with Him. And let's not be fooled. This is not something that the Christian does for God. No, this is something God does for the Christian. It's God who tears down the idols and the gods. It's God who breaks the power of sin. It's God who gives a distaste for the world. It's God who gives us a heart that wants to obey him, a heart that wants to be pure. This is the biblical gospel. The gospel is a calling out of the world. And I know we live in a culture that says you can love Jesus and love the world at the same time. But John says that's contrary to the message of the gospel. If any man loved the world and the things of the world... The love of God is not in him. So listen, if you have not been called out of the world by God, you are not a true Christian. If you continue in your fornication, adultery, abuse, drunkenness, and call yourself Christian, you're living a lie. If you claim to be in Christ and you see no spiritual growth whatsoever over the years, you are not rooted in the vine. If you flatter yourself that you're on the straight and narrow path, but you are still the same person you were 10 years ago, then you have serious reason to examine yourself to see if you're in the faith. I'm not talking about sinless perfection. I'm talking about spiritual progress. I'm talking about God sanctifying those He justifies. I'm talking about Philippians 1. He who began a good work in you will perform it under the day of Jesus Christ. God does it. Well, you just see they just got to do more effort. No. They just got to go to church more. No. It's not us. It's the power of God within us. You see, take the hammer of God's word and smash this self-help gospel that is perverting the true gospel. Can light abide with darkness? Paul says, "No." Can one love Christ and belial? No. And he was talking to a very perverse city, Corinth. He was talking to the world, capital W. People have come out of the world. True faith in Christ always leads to a distinctive separation from the world. I'm going to keep hitting this till I die. No, oh, they say the sinner's prayer. They walked denial. They signed a card. I don't care. That means nothing. Your profession of faith means nothing. Do you realize that? It means nothing. Have you ever heard a preacher say that? You profess to know God, who cares? Most people profess to know God. What does the fruit of your life show? What does the evidence of your heart show? So you pray to prayer. Many in hell pray to prayer. Jesus says, many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not in your name done many wonderful works? And Jesus says, we'll say, I, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of iniquity. Sin still makes the distinction in your life. You've not been calling out of the world. You don't know me. My power hasn't changed you. That's what Christ is saying. We have to get this right, church. For the sake of our own soul and for the sake of the souls of others. Test the scriptures. See if I'm wrong. Acts seventeen eleven. Be a Berean Christian. Go back to the scriptures, search it out to see if it fits with the biblical message of the gospel. So the question of all questions, I leave you with in the consideration of these six gospel truths that Peter has brought to our attention here at the beginning of Second Peter is: Do you have true faith? That's the question. Do you have true faith? Do you have Bible faith? Do you believe that Jesus is the Christ? Do you believe that He is God? Do you believe that His blood is sufficient to save your sin? Do you believe that God by His power has brought you from death to life, from darkness to light, And has such a belief given you a a love for God? Do you have an affection for God's word? Do you have a delight to be with God's people? If not, again, the call of salvation is believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. Today is the day of salvation. Now is the accepted time. You don't have to do anything to make yourself right with God. But you do have to humbly come to the point in your life where you recognize that you are a sinner, guilty before God, deserving of hell, In Christ in His mercy, Christ in His grace, died on the cross, rose again the third day to make you right with God. Has there been a time and a place marked by a change where you've believed that message?